So, you guys, you remember Amy's Kitchen, the the what the thing where they uh, they had the the paid protesters for, that were like basically on the clock, that doing the counter protest to the picket. Yeah, def- in defense of policies that make people have to fill what like thirteen pre-made dinner things per minute or whatever, to the mm-hmm. point where so many people are getting like stress injuries. Yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently, they the boy or the the union is calling for a boycott of Amy's Kitchen products, and uh, that's uh, something that I guess we're we're here to tell the folks on the pod too. So if you see that shit, uh, if you know, I think there's you can uh, print out a sticker or something like that. Write write it on a piece of paper, duct tape it to the to the grocery store stand or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it, it was basically, you know, like it, it's a small thing, but the workers want you to not buy those products for a little while. So if you have a craving, you're like, man, I need something made with really good ingredients that's going to make me feel good when I eat it, but doesn't take a lot of effort. Just go to Panera. Just, just <laughs> do what everyone else does. You crazy? It'll be cheaper than the Amy's meals. Straight up. <laughs> that's actually why that, that blows my mind that you can get like, like, powdered cheese mac and cheese that's more expensive than a than a soup bowl at a fucking small chain yeah i could get i should say i I get a big old broccoli cheese in a bread bowl for less than the cost of an amy's mac and cheese and we want to thank panera our sponsor for the episode (laughs) (laughs) i just i just moved back to the midwest so like national chains are becoming my wheelhouse again because surprise (laughs) that's basically all we have (laughs) That's that's right, folks. Panera and Arby's now the permanent sponsors of work stoppage. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. I would take a sponsorship from Culver's. Maybe not on this show. Maybe if they voluntarily recognized a union. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I, yeah. it's, on principle, I can't do any advertisement. But there right. are some brands I like more than others. I mean, I'm a person. You're gonna start seeing that uh, like Culver's is gonna have the same like glowing color font that we have on all of our our episode art. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, on on the topic of advertisements, welcome to Work Stoppage, everybody. We don't have any. We just have cold opens where we make jokes about them. We are 100% listener supported, so thank you so much for any money you might be giving us on the Patreon. It really does go a long way. If you're not in the Discord, you're doing yourself a disservice, and it's absolutely free, 99. Uh, if you really want to help the show, uh, throw us a five-star review anywhere that you think it will help. Apple Podcasts seems to be the prevailing wisdom, but I'm working on getting some uh unitive knowledge of that straight from the godhead and we'll see what our what our investigations reveal uh if you you go onto google maps to somewhere where there's a strike going on and you leave a pin and then you just label it work stoppage and then write a review for us then so that it'll probably be seen by no one that would also be cool you can also write it you can carve it into an apple itself and just toss (laughs) it into the street (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> go over to your friend's house who has a kid write it on the wall in crayon blame it on the kid <laughs> perfect plan <laughs> that's right <laughs> 
Uh, anyway, yeah, I guess we're going to dive right into it. We did already briefly mention the Amy's Kitchen boycott, but the workers are calling for that. So uh, if you can, avoid buying those products for a little while. And then we are also going to be following up with construction contractors in Seattle who have begun turning to these something called ghost trucks, which yeah. apparently constitutes scab labor. Uh, I'm not 100% sure what this is. I worked a 10-hour day today. So does one of you want to explain it to me? <laughs> yeah, sure. So uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about how there has been a sort of like at least industry-wide general strike in the concrete industry for supplying, you know, concrete for building construction in Seattle because all of the various concrete supply companies there all have Teamsters labor and they all had lined up their contracts at the same time. And so the companies there have been super intransigent. They like basically they've been like refusing to even come to the negotiating table and they've just been trying to break the strike by not just assuming that they can hold out longer sure. than the workers do. However, because this strike is industry-wide, this is causing massive delay problems within the construction industry in Seattle, which, as we talked about when we talked about the show before, we figured, well, hey, this is a big part of why you do these broad industry-wide strikes, because it mm -hmm. gives the workers more leverage. However, we have seen a new tactic by these companies where they've basically been bringing in scab truck drivers from outside a lot of times outside of the state or, or at the very least from outside of the Seattle region where like in the last week contractors brought in upwards of a hundred non-union truckloads of concrete for sound transit work in the Northgate, Linwood and Redmond uh, areas of Seattle, as well as some amount of concrete being brought to a department of transportation job on a bridge in the area that is being worked. And so there have also been small amounts of non-union concrete that have been brought in surreptitiously on other city of Seattle products. And so the, we have a quote here from Teamsters Local 147, this member, this, Jamie Fleming. This is wild to me. I, the, the, the quote's great. About these trucks, quote, we call them ghost trucks because they have no logos on them, oftentimes no license plates, and no DOT number. Yeah, so like heavy machinery that is not re not pr registered with the state presumably so th this is like a ghost gun but for a work truck yeah kind of <laughs> actually yeah that's insane do they even have like vin numbers <laughs> like shit yeah they're they're scratched off no we don't know <laughs> i would assume they have vin numbers but like yeah so this is the so this is basically their way of trying to bring in scabs but one of the things that's of course difficult with this is that there aren't necessarily, you know, a lot of people out there who know how to drive and operate a cement mixer truck properly who don't already belong to, say, the Teamsters or another, mm. like, busy like construction company. So they've been having to really go far afield to try and bring in this these, these out-of-state non-union drivers or even attempting to just hire people who it's like, do you have just basic... Like, do you have a basic, like, license for driving like heavy vehicles? license, yeah. Yeah, like, people who may not even be necessarily, you know, incredibly experienced with this stuff. Uh, people and, who and may not even have the the qualifications license wives to drive these trucks i don't know if they take a cdl or a chauffeur or, or yeah. whatever but most people don't have those qualifications so if you just hire some random john deere executive you know he's gonna crash that shit in like yeah. two seconds <laughs> <laughs> 
One of the things that I that I found uh, interesting is the uh, city and state have labor agreements with right. uh, any of these publicly funded projects to only use union labor for actual construction. But the state is arguing that it doesn't apply to the delivery of materials, basically <laughs> yeah. allowing this scab labor to exist. Uh, the the quote here is from Matt Preedy uh, of uh, Sound Transit, uh, their, uh, Sound Transit's director Matt Preedy. Uh, Contractors are free to get concrete from whatever source they are able to get it from, which I'm sure we all love to hear that when our public infrastructure and bridges are made with whatever they can find. They they yeah. went out and found a work stoppage review and turned it into concrete. I mean, didn't <laughs> didn't that whole fucking <laughs> Didn't that whole fucking uh, apartment building that like collapsed in Florida? Wasn't that because the contractor used sand from the beach the local instead beach, of yeah. construction yeah. grade sand? Like you can't just if you let people run around making and buying concrete wherever they can get it, you're going to have a lot of building foundations cracking and worse <laughs> in yeah, the very near future. That, that's exactly one of the main points that the Teamsters have been making in this is they've been pointing out in addition to, you know, condemning the use of scab labor and, and of course, calling for the companies to come back to the table to negotiate to get these folks back to work. Since, of course, no matter what the you know media or other messaging may try to portray this, it's not the workers holding up these construction projects. It's the companies in their refusal to negotiate and provide these workers with the living wages and, you know, general benefits that they deserve. But mm-hmm. to your, ex- exactly to your point, John, like the Teamsters have pointed out, like there was a, another quote here from uh, Jamie Fleming, that, that rep from the, the Teamsters Local 147, who said, these big projects are going to really regret the decision to use this poor quality concrete because they're going to have to end up redoing it. It's going to crack in a few years. So yep. yeah, like this, that's a very real concern. And in a, but one thing that's also, I think kind of interesting about this that I think really does like show the desperation of some of the con- the companies here is that like, they're not doing this because it's cheap either. Like tr- having to bring these drivers in from out of state on a contract basis and try and just even to source materials with and going around you know the union workforce is really expensive like the the extra cost of leasing trucks instead of using the ones that they would normally use with their union drivers mm-hmm. can cost up to $12,000 a month wow <laughs> and greater seattle concrete who has been is one of the the places that has been purchasing this non-union concrete says they're paying about $300 per cubic yard of non-union concrete compared to 120 dollars in the union concrete that they were buying before the strike so so the the cost has almost tripled to buy this non-union stuff so like it's not even cheaper it's really funny to see uh corporate uh executives and management get fucked over by the very supply and demand they're always (laughs) touting as like the the great beacon (laughs) of american economics well and i i don't know if they're like mandated to to like put this information out there but it's really one hell of a cell phone to be like yeah and we're just like paying out the ass for this when we could just be giving the workers the money right yeah no it's 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 
it's this strikes version of the same stuff we've seen so many times. Like when we see, like you see the nurses go on strike and then a company brings in travel nurses and pays them two, three, four five times, Mm -hmm. you know, the hourly rate where it just completely undercuts this idea that the, the demands of the workers are unreasonable and can't be met by the company. And it's all about the power relations there. And, 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 and the absolute loathing that these company owners have to give up even the smallest amount of power and, and, the tiniest fraction of their profits to the workers that are actually producing all that value. And one of the other things is that like, this is even with these attempts to bring in, you know, non-union concrete to try and, and, and break the log jam that these companies have created by refusing to negotiate with the workers, even spending all this money, making all these compromises, breaking all these potential safety rules, they still can't even come close to hitting the demand that there is for the concrete right now. Like uh, the general manager of the Seattle office of Turner Construction, Bill Ketchum, acknowledged to some reporters who were looking into this that, quote, it's not a lot of capacity. <laughs> Basically admitting mm. that, like, this is not a long-term solution. They are not going to be able to completely fill all their orders with this scab concrete that they're doing, in addition to, again, it costing three times as much as using their normal union labor. I mean, how many trucks can you send out on the road without license plates before there <laughs> right. start to be logistical issues? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, the Teamsters, I think, had the, had the right attitude to this, where they were, they were asked, you know, well, oh, what do you think the impact of this is going to be on the strike? Is this is really, really, really hurting your leverage, right? And, well, so Bill, Brett Gallagher, who's a Teamsters bargaining committee member and a driver for one of the six companies that is preventing these workers from going back to work by refusing to negotiate. Cal Portland said, quote, I don't think it's taking away our bargaining power. It shows me that these companies will do whatever they want to prevent us from having a fair contract. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's true. Uh, I mean, this is, it's, uh, it's just a power play. The, the whole thing is just a power play. Cause they don't want to, they, they do the classic, Oh, if we give in here, we're going to have to give in again. And they, it's like, they're, they're doing like domino theory bullshit. Uh, yeah, when really so, they could just I mean, give in. It, you, what you're highlighting is a really interesting like crux of the whole issue, right? Which is the business owners see like giving workers uh, an opportunity to live decently in exchange for their labor as like a very slippery slope. And in a sense, I think that's ridiculous. But in another sense, I'm kind of like, yeah, yeah, it should be a slippery slope. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely. Slip so, like, right into worker controlled workplaces. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Like, so, yeah, I mean, if you're in the Seattle area, you know, definitely, you know, support these these truckers on the on the picket line. And mm-hmm. I mean, even just for your own safety, it definitely I think it's good to be out there demanding that these companies come back to the negotiating table and agree to a fair deal, because the longer this goes on, the more of these construction projects are going to potentially have this unsafe concrete in their foundations. Yeah, it's going to be mm-hmm. you're going to be Pittsburgh in no time. Uh, uh, but moving on to our next story we're gonna be covering one of our favorite topics that's been going on for a while starbucks workers and in this case we're talking about uh, starbucks workers in denver who have gone on strike over the union busting tactics that they've been experiencing so last friday march 11th uh there was to pro uh, to protest the unfair labor practices uh, that have been going on in the company company and in their store specifically uh, as well as the constant retaliation against workers for organizing the workers uh who haven't got their union election yet they're proving that their union exists 
Like this is they, they've gone on strike without even having their election yet. Although, as we always say, they had their election. They decided in their own shop that they're a union. Um, but yeah, they're they're out. They went out on strike, and uh, there's there's been some retaliation from the uh, company giving out what they call final disciplinary warnings, which is the last move before firing them. Basically, they're threatening the entire Denver Starbucks, uh, the the Colfax Avenue location, with firing for doing this this work stoppage. Yeah, like damn. I mean, this is bit. It's funny because it's like I don't know if I, I have no idea if any of our listeners are like, man, you, you all talk about Starbucks every week, and it's like, well, yeah, because there's more incredible action by these workers every week. Like, and this stuff though is like so awesome to see because like we had last week, we had the Starbucks workers going on a sick out strike in Philly to to protest, you know, the removal of the mask mandate mm-hmm. for for workers. Now we have these other workers, and as you were saying though, like Lena, like it's it's so inspirational just to see these folks be like look yeah you haven't acknowledged our union yet but that doesn't really fucking matter we are standing up for each other and we have these issues we have to fight for and it doesn't really matter if the company or the state has recognized the union or not like we have identified a problem and we are going to take action to solve it and this has become like you know an imminently vital issue Mm-hmm. for these workers because we've seen all over the country as Starbucks completely flounders in their attempts to hold off these union elections as they fail and fail and fail again to stop these workers from organizing they've ratcheted up stronger and stronger like every seemingly every week every day the level of repression they're willing to do the number of people they're willing to fire the number of hours they're willing to cut the number of managers they're going to fly around the country to try and saturate these places with spies and and and, you know like closing some locations shifting staff to other ones it's like the amount that they're doing is got to be they're spending a huge amount of money millions and millions of dollars and this they they seem to every time they lose rather than being like let's change our strategy they're just like we got to fire more people <laughs> yeah well and not it's not in our notes but uh but there's there's about just under two percent of the actual investment capital of starbucks the 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 investors in capital have actually called for starbucks to back the fuck off which is not a huge percentage of their thing but it's it's about what was it uh let me quick pull up the number uh it was one 1.2 billion dollars worth of of stockholders uh, which again, just under two percent of the actual value of Starbucks, but they're they're ca- they're actually calling for Starbucks to stop union busting and start like recognizing these workers. It's so bad that capital is like you're fucking up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, um, it really like lays the whole contradiction of an incredibly large company bear, right? Because especially Starbucks, a, a company that touts itself on having a, a soft touch with, uh, with with dealing with employees and customers and being very, you know, gentle and reassuring. And really, it just means like hyper bureaucratic. But um, the fact that like labor is the one issue that makes them completely lose their minds <laughs> and abandon this softer, gentler kind of protocol is, I think, very revealing of the fact that like labor and the relationship that employers have to their employees is the primary contradiction of the economy like it is the it is the beating heart of economic contradiction under capitalism right and yeah and i mean that really lies you know at the 
the the heart of of why we'll see these companies continue to do a level of oppression that just seems some it would almost seem to be counterproductive if you look at it from the purely mm-hmm. like uh you know a company should do whatever maximizes its profits in the immediate short term because they see like kind of like what we were talking about with the previous story too they see it as like an existential threat if the employees realize they're like wait a minute if they figure out they're the only reason our company exists well, that could be a problem for us down the road. <laughs> right. Well, what's interesting about Starbucks uh, compared to like a smaller business is I think even if you have like a regional chain and you consider the workers unionizing an existential threat, there are some business owners who will just shut the whole thing down oh, yeah. and or sell it and, and or, you know, turn them into so they look like abandoned family videos or whatever. But like... Uh, Starbucks cannot do that. <laughs> Starbucks, there is no way in the world that Starbucks will will let itself die. So like they don't get there's no like uh emergency switch they can pull where they just eject from it. Like I'm sure some executives will mm-hmm. jump ship if 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 the unions get big enough, but they can't like abandon the business model. So they have to they have to uh contend with what the employees are doing. Right, they're going to move towards the Amazon model of of forced high turnover if mm-hmm. if that's what and that's kind of what they're resorting to in these situations where they're willing to yeah. fire the entire workforce in order to prevent workers getting better conditions. Mm-hmm. I actually want to go to a quote here. Uh, from the workers themselves. It says, we are striking today to call attention to Starbucks' retaliatory and intimidating actions, including but not limited to cutting hours, thus threatening livelihoods, and access to benefits such as schooling and insurance. Baseless final warnings for alleged violations of vague and inconsistently enforced policies and spying on and otherwise monitoring pro-union partners and their activities. These behaviors are disappointing and in direct contradiction to the Starbucks mission and values that all partners are tasked with living by and upholding. Today, we demand an immediate stop to these actions that have contributed to the oppositional and uncomfortable work environment. That was Michaela Solaro. Yeah, and I mean, this is really like emblematic of just like, cause just to make it clear, this is the sort of stuff that we've been seeing everywhere. Like this is not just at the, the, this Colfax Ave store in Denver. Like honestly, the, what they're talking about, I feel like would be a totally justifiable case to do a ULP strike at every Starbucks that has been organizing. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I mean, to your point, John, about like some companies being totally willing to just close stores and, and to try and stem the tide. Like we've seen that with like dollar general and, and, sure. and dollar stores generally have been very quick. Oh, they hear like one word about people talking about a union. They just shut that shit down. The thing, but like there's a hundred over 130 stores that have already announced this union organizing. What are they going to do? Shut them all down? <laughs> yeah, well, and uh, Starbucks also, they've been trying to crowd out like local coffee shops, which mm-hmm. means a few things that are very damaging to the economy. But the one I want to highlight is that, that puts them in a bit of a bind is that that means they've set up their stores to be community institutions. And you can't just go shutting down community institutions willy-nilly now that like, you know, you serve thousands of people a day at some of the, the busier ones. If you start doing that, the amount of uh, bad will you're going to generate among your customer base is insane. 
you know, pl- on top of all of the the bad will you're generating trying to bust these union drives. Yeah, and I mean, even Starbucks is like attempt to try and like explain away their actions <laughs> is like incredibly thin and useless here where like mm-hmm. a, a spokesperson told a local Denver news channel, Denver seven, that the workers were not disciplined for organizing. And you're like, Oh, okay. Well then you could give us a specific example why they were disciplined there. Right. And their response was that they were disciplined because they quote violated clear safety and security protocol. (laughs) Clear doing a lot of heavy lifting there. (laughs) Yeah. There's there's no explanation of what that was. There's no specific instances. There's no actual explanation. It's just, well, they broke the rules and you're just going to have to trust us on that. <laughs> and, and not only that, it's obvious. That's the thing. That, w- <laughs> yeah, that, that word clear, so. that, that's such a big red flag for me because like in my experience, when someone in a position of power is telling you that something is obvious, it's a way of covering up some other lie. <laughs> yeah, no, for mm-hmm. sure. And, and one thing that's been great to see, though, with these, these striking workers in Denver is that they were immediately joined in solidarity by all sorts of folks from the city, like members of the Denver Teachers Union joined these workers on the, mm-hmm. the picket line. So did folks from Denver's PSL, Denver's DSA, like a bunch of other left wing and labor groups in the area. There was a quote here from, from one of the workers at the store, Lillian Sanders, who said, it's been really fun to have everyone come together. It's been really empowering, but it's also been really scary. We've had a lot of intimidation and a lot of efforts to stop us, but we're here. That's right. Hell yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I understand that sentiment. It, going through a union-busting campaign is actually very terrifying. Right. Uh, yeah, especially sure. when, when you know, you're, they're trying to pit you and your coworkers against each other in a place where it's already, I mean, it's tense in a Starbucks. Like, you're working hard. You're doing a lot of, of movements really fast. And if things make, if there's mistakes made, it can cause hiccups. And, and those, those little things can be exacerbated into, you know, anti-solidaristic style, you know, uh, sentiment between workers, but that's not what we're seeing. We're actually seeing that in the face of this union busting, that these workers are coming together despite how scary it is to be intimidated by Starbucks and they're sticking together and showing that their union is strong, which fucking rocks. Yeah. yeah well, the union has already responded to this and other incidents by filing uh, a ULP just yesterday, right? Yeah. So that's the thing is like, so this, like, cause we were kind of saying before, it's like the stuff that these workers at this Denver store have been complaining about and why they're striking over these unfair labor practices are the sorts of things we've been hearing everywhere. And so because of that, uh, the Starbucks workers United, the like national organization filed ULP charges against Starbucks corporate, like against the whole chain across the country because of the fact that these policies are not limited to this one store or even just this store and a few stores in De- in, in um, Buffalo where, you right. know, this, this movement all started, but it's that they've been doing this everywhere. Like they, 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 their charges po- allege that Starbucks has been slashing hours across the board in basically every state where they're seeing workers organized. They point out that workers hours have been slashed in at least 20 States. Uh, and then they say in their, in their charges, the reduction of hours has resulted in lost pay, has rendered or will soon render employees ineligible for benefits that have hours worked eligibility requirements, including health care coverage and the Starbucks College Achievement Plan, which is their tuition coverage, and has or will soon result in the constructive discharge of Starbucks employees. 
Yeah, and I think that that asserts where I think that once there are a good amount of these unions, a really strong point for them to push against, which is the minimum hours for benefits, which is absolutely Mm. ridiculous. That policy is just on its face, like telling people that they're not worth anything if they're not like putting all of their time into this into starbucks and if you know say you're limited with how many hours you can uh work or or you have to work multiple jobs that you're not worthy of health care and right. and how absolutely absurd that is on its face and i and i hope that um in the in the longer run of this union movement we see a, a really big push against that particular policy and the and the and the two-tiered uh, system of of part-time and full-time workers yeah, well, and especially at a place like Starbucks, where they pride themselves on offering a quote-unquote comprehensive benefits package that's like right. the best in the service industry or whatever. And then their workforce is primarily made up of students and former retirees who don't work enough hours to qualify for the benefits package. Yeah, well, and, it, and it's, I mean, we've seen in case after case how that policy can be so easily weaponized. Mm-hmm. If they have somebody they see as an agitator that they want to push out because they, since the, you know, w- without the union, since like they have the ability to unilaterally change workers hours, if you start complaining, like agitating, organizing, you know, all the good stuff workers should be doing. It's we've seen in case after case, how easy it is for them to just be like, Oh, sorry, because of the needs of the company, we've reduced your hours to conveniently one hour less than the amount right. that is needed to qualify for this. So you don't get healthcare anymore. Sorry. Yeah. And it, mm-hmm. it's just such an easy way for them to, to push people out. So it's, it's good to see both these workers striking and then the actual, the national movement trying to escalate that and take it the whole thing to the NLRB to say, look, this, this policy that Starbucks is doing is clearly retaliatory. The idea that it's not is made ludicrous by the fact that it's being done in 20 different States. And, and so hopefully that'll get some sort of a redress, but even if it doesn't importantly, you know, these workers aren't wait sitting around and waiting for the NLRB. They, they've, they've taken this to the picket line to demand change. And that's fucking awesome. Absolutely. Uh, moving to our next story, which is not awesome. I mean, I guess no. technically the bill itself did, it did not make it, uh, through, but, uh, we wanted to highlight a particular bill in Florida that what, that is basically a form of right to work, but also like an expanded version of what right to work laws are. And we wanted to just yeah. kind of go over that to kind of, uh, clarify the ways in which certain government entities are doing uh they're doing systemic attacks on workers and their rights yeah absolutely so like because this build i i originally saw the story about this before the the legislative session in florida ended but like and so this bill that we're gonna talk about didn't pass but i would expect to see this pop up again in florida and i would expect to see similar bills be trotted out in in states around the country as you know worker energy picks up and as the the state looks for more and more ways to attack unions this is kind of uh, operating in the same mo as the prop 22 clones that we've been seeing everywhere yeah kind of i mean it's targeting like different different sector but yeah um so like this because the bill that we're talking about here is a is h it was hb 1197 in florida where it is specifically targeting public unions with a big asterisk on it. And I'll get to that in a minute. But so what this would do, 
is that it would force public unions to ask for their members to sign union cards every single year. And that if they don't sign a union card, they have to purge these members from the union's roles. And of course, you know, Florida is a right to work state. And so like the, you, you know, workers have the ability to opt out of union dues in any of these shops. Um, but the other key part of this is that it would, if it, like, if this sort of like role purge, like even if just somebody was like, oh yeah, yeah, I got to fill out that. I love the union. And they just misplace the card. They forget they lose it or something. They did for whatever reason, they're not able to fill out the card. If the number of people on a job site represented by the union who signed their union cards that year falls below 50% of the eligible workers at the site, then the law would force workers to go through recertification to remain the collective bargaining agent for the workers. And it would also remove the ability for workers to have their dues automatically deducted from their paychecks and force the union to like send out specific separate like dues requirement forms. Basically they are throwing up as many annoying bureaucratic like forms and checklists and procedures to make the like, to try and basically make the process of being a union member as annoying as possible in the hopes that people will forget or get annoyed or just choose whatever reason not to fill out the paperwork so that it is more likely that the you'll end up in a situation where these unions have to file for recertification and potentially just lose the ability to represent these employees. Right. And wow. I think that one thing that we can go back to in history is the Janice V. Asmi Supreme Court mm-hmm. case when we saw the basically yep. uh, national right to work imposed by the um, by the Supreme Court, where the unions were very scared that they were going to lose a ton of dues because of that system. But they uh, actually were they managed to mobilize in the wor- in the in the unions to not really lose their dues which is cool but also we need to remember that it costs a lot to be going in there and doing that particular form of education right, when right. really they should be doing other forms of education for the for the workers and what this will do is this will add even more steps to try to maintain the union and I'm all for like getting out there and educating and making sure that the union is strong, that we're engaging people on a rank and file level. This is like to to have to do it in the face of a threat is not what what we would want, even in the slightest. Uh, and and that this specifically is just going to end up with less union density uh, in in our public sector unions. Now, uh, one of the things that is also interesting about this is that there are some particular exemptions mm-hmm. for oh. who is actually covered by this. I wonder who the exemptions could be. Is it DMV <laughs> employees and the Sewer and Water Authority? Uh, no, nope. I, th- <laughs> I think that, uh, that I was going to be like, oh, is it the, the, the DNR? I'd be like, well, they're cops, but it's actually the people that they really consider cops. Uh, even though the DNR, they are cops. Uh, they, but yeah, the exemptions are cops, firefighters, corrections officers, what? and probation officers. Um, uh, yeah. And so basically just the carceral state plus firefighters. 
Yeah. So <laughs> the, the only actual workers who get an exemption here are firefighters. And then it's all the uh, various members of the repressive state apparatus employed by uh, by Florida. Well, and they're happy to give it to firefighters because they've already like systematically replaced a ton of fire departments across the country with volunteers right. instead of paying people to risk their lives. They're just like, why don't you do it out of the goodness of your heart? Yeah. And yeah, it's, this shit is just, is so toxic. And, and I, you know, I, I'll admit, I hadn't actually thought about the cost issues of, involved with this, but you're absolutely right, Lena, because like, even in a scenario where the union's, get all their shit together. They do all their education. They may, and maybe even they get a higher percentage than they would have expected mm-hmm. of folks to start signing their cards every year to come out. That's money and time and energy and resources that could have been spent organizing new workers, doing political education to expand the union to like, I mean, doing all sorts of other things even could be used for stupid pointless purposes like lobbying for more democrats which i don't really care that they wouldn't be able to do that but like or i mean you could save it up for a strike that might potentially happen in the future that's a pretty critical time to have some money hanging around yeah so it's a win-win for the right wing because you either get a chance to decertify, demobilize all of these union workers, which allows you to drive down wages and and go towards privatization of services. Or at worst case for you, you're still sapping all this money, time, and resources from the unions. And so, of course, the right wing is not openly saying that it's just, well, we're doing this because fuck public unions, Um, because they still have to use some sort of euphemisms. Uh, They referred to this bill as a paycheck protection bill that would give employees power over the union and improve transparency of union operations. That's not at all. Like I just, I mean, I did just literally go over why it's not that, but, but I mean like, (laughs) and, and like we want, we definitely want to, to give more power to the workers in the unions. And that's why we advocate for the rank and file organizing where everybody's a leader and everybody uh, is part of the process. But uh, the idea of it calling it a paycheck protection, I think is one of the most like on its face, uh, whistles that that we see because protecting it from what and it's obviously quote unquote like from dues or whatever right. so that the the unions will not have uh you know the contributions to the project to actually continue doing the organizing and then that will systematically reduce the power of the unions themselves actually also reducing the power of the workers against their employers yeah i mean paycheck protection is a really cute little bit of double speak because like it is protecting the paychecks from getting bigger which is the in (laughs) the interests of the business owners that's right no absolutely so i mean Unions across Florida, of course, mobilized to protest the bill. Uh, hundreds of union members showed up to Tallahassee to the state house to protest it and testify against it. Uh, there, we have some quotes here, uh, like Rob Crete, president of the Hillsborough Classroom Teachers Association, said, "Our public workers, our teachers, our support professionals have been heroes of this pandemic. We are calling on law all lawmakers of Florida to give them the respect and the support that they deserve, and not government harassment." They've been doing the hard work. They've been meeting the needs of our students and our communities. And we ask them to continue to respect their constitutional rights. And so, I mean, the bill 
did pass Florida's House in a relatively close vote, 60 to 47, and got to the Senate, but it apparently was a bit too controversial for the, the people in the Senate. They decided, uh, we're going to leave this one on the table for now. Yeah, um, suspend it of sorts. You know, yeah. we'll, we'll come back to it later when maybe we've already dismantled the unions more and, well, and we and have also- enough power. Maybe when the media coverage of this has died down and or during the next major geopolitical crisis when it will barely be a blip on anyone's radar. Yeah. So so like in the immediate future, yeah, the bill is has not passed and it's not going into law in Florida. But I want like I really wanted to highlight this bill because like I would expect to see this come up again, both in Florida, but I also would expect it to start like copies of very similar legislation to roll out in other states around the country. And so if we understand this ahead of time and you start seeing this sort of language, this sort of bill be brought out in your state, then you'll know, oh, hey, I've heard about this shit before. (laughs) This is nonsense. This is just the sort of thing that they're trying to do to fuck with public unions. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. All right. So now we go to our international segment on the show yes. where we travel across the world to look at some workers actions and all of the cool shit that motherfuckers do all <laughs> over the place. This time we're looking at some teachers, some of our, you know, we love teachers. And uh, in this case, they are in Slovenia and there are 40,000 of them. Uh, Damn. On March 9th, uh, these teachers and educators went on strike across Slovenia to protest low wages that have not kept up with inflation and the refusal of the state to compensate teachers for working through the pandemic. The strike includes workers at over 650 education institutions across the country. Yeah, so, like, this is a, I mean, this is another great story out of People's Dispatch where, like, this from what I was reading, basically shut down the like school system in Slovenia for, for the day. Um, the, and the union leading this strike, uh, the trade union of education, science and culture of Slovenia or SVIS has been demanding like new collective negotiations to address this issue for months because like, I mean, inflation obviously varies country to country, but there have been similar huge inflation problems in Slovenia like there have been here. And, you know, as we talk about like over and over again, even if if you get like if you're in an environment where you have like 7% inflation and you get a 2% raise, you didn't get a raise, you got a pay cut because your Mm -hmm. actual purchasing power with your wage has gone down. And so this is that's like the situation that these teachers are facing. But in addition to the inflation, problem which again as we talked about before is mostly corporate profiteering but like there are also legal problems where due to the way that wages for public employees are regulated in slovenia there are a lot of workers that are in the education sector who are actually paid less than the minimum wage there and over 13,000 members of this union reported being unable to meet basic needs like food and rent due to their low salaries and again these are these are teachers. Like, obviously, nobody who's employed should be in that situation. But this is one of those things that we've seen because, like, I, I think people know, like, or at least our listeners will know about, you know, the attacks on public education in the U.S. But like, this is something that we've seen all over the place, like uh, in like you know Europe and, and elsewhere, where there's just this 
continued devaluation of teaching as a profession, this refusal to devote the mm-hmm. resources that are necessary to actually provide education. Uh, like it, it's gotten to the point where I almost feel like the like Taylorism in, in Western capitalism has proceeded to the point where like they've attempted to, you know, quote unquote, de-skill labor so much that there's almost now like a bourgeois revolt against the concept of like free public education that it, mm-hmm. it's now like seen as this massive burden that they should no longer have to pay for. Well, it's also seen as a missed opportunity to make even more money a la Betsy DeVos Certainly. and her insane crusade to make every school a charter school so that it can be one for profit and two explicitly Christian. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. And, and so the, the Slovenian Minister of Education, Simona Kustech, has been publicly downplaying the union's concerns and trying to obstruct the strike, even getting to the point of, of suggesting that they withhold teacher salaries to punish them for striking, which wouldn't sound strange probably to us here uh, because of the way the U.S. labor law works. But that would actually violate the Slovenian constitution, which guarantees these teachers the right to strike. And like there's only very specific situations where they could withhold those those salaries, uh, which the unions have not met. Um, And. There has been, other than, you know, the pushback from the state, there's been a broad solidarity in Slovenia from other unions, like the Trade Union Confederation Pergam had came out and expressed solidarity with the te- striking teachers. There's also been uh, similar strikes that have taken place in the public healthcare sector in Slovenia, oh, oh, like la- just last month in, in February. And also there's a left-wing party in Slovenia, uh, Levica or Levica, I'm not sur- sure how you pronounce that, but that has also backed the striking teachers and called for the government to meet their demands so like these teachers were are seeing a good amount of public support which is that's at least very good to see right i i I'd, for one demand that slavoy uh make a commentary on this it's happening right outside his front door if he would just come down from his lofty studio apartment in ljubljana <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely well, in order to actually uh, stop the uh, strike from continuing or, or getting larger, the Slovenian government has, uh, you know, invited the, uh, is the SVIZ the teachers yeah. union? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the teachers union to negotiate uh, today, actually, the 15th of March. Uh, and uh, so the teachers accepted that invitation. But uh, understanding how the government's attempt to diffuse the worker energy through these kind of meetings asked for additional assurances that the conversation that will take place on Tuesday will actually be an attempt to negotiate the strike demands rather than just another attempt to water down the industrial action. Yeah, so I really like I like that they're taking this what I think is a very smart, pragmatic approach where they're like. Yeah, we'll meet with you, but like it has to be a real fucking meeting, not one of these just like things that you do call to save face and then you just drag shit out forever and don't actually do anything where you're like, oh, we're going to set up a commission to investigate the potential of maybe doing something. Right. We've got a committee to start a committee. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And they've already said, like, they've already said, like, yeah, if there's no progress in these meetings, if these meetings are bullshit, if it's just to try to divert energy, we're just going to continue the strike and we're going to keep shit shut down, which is exactly, you know, the attitude folks should have. So, so good on these teachers. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Now, uh, we've been doing a new series in our uh, Patreon episodes where we we do like shop floor discussions where we basically go a little bit deeper into a topic that uh, we might not have enough time for on the show. But uh, we're going to do something very similar to the last one that we covered when we were talking about the uh, attacks on, you know, workers and and other sorts of you know, left movements and the the murder of, of leftists in general in Colombia. Uh, and, and I encourage people to, to become a patron and, and check that out. But we are actually going to be doing covering a slightly similar story in South Africa, where uh, one where the leader of the Shack Dwellers movement was assassinated on March 8th. Uh, and this is a, an interesting movement of of people where basically what they're doing is they're doing uh like smaller scale occupation and communization of certain areas for poorer folks um yeah 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 so this movement which is called and i had to look up the pronunciation because i i wanted to to try and come close to it which is abalali basam jandalo uh i think which is yeah the military militant shack dwellers movement there has been basically trying to organize the folks that live on, you know, the outskirts of a lot of the major cities in, in South Africa, like specifically in, in, in Durban is one of the areas that they've, they've done a lot of, of organization and where they're basically trying to go to like where the poorest folks are and try and get more self-sustainable communities set up for these folks who are denied access to, any government services who oftentimes don't have, you know, electricity, they don't have running water because they're forced to live in these, these slums on the outskirts of the areas that are also often just targeted for slum clearance, Mm -hmm. but where they're, you know, pushed out of an area that, that a development company like covets or has purchased the land and wants to build something on. And so they just try like the police and, and the government just come in and, and shove these people aside. And so this movement has been trying to organize those folks and fight for their rights while at the same time, Doing setting up these communes to try and actually allow these these poor folks to be able to make something actually to get resources out of the land that they're on, and they have faced pretty fierce repression from the government. Um, th- this is definitely this is not a movement that I I was familiar with before I, I read about this story. It was, it was very interesting to learn about. So like uh, one thing that I think people might be a bit like surprised to learn about this is that, you know, the party that they've been facing a lot of repression from is the ruling party in South Africa, the African national Congress, which is the party that, you know, Nelson Mandela was a part of. And, and, you know, is the party that came out of the, the end of apartheid and, and, and the eviction of the white supremacist regime that was there. But in the 30 years since then, there's been a lot of moderation in, in, in like turning towards more free market style ideas. And that has come along with it, you know, the influence of real estate developers and all the other bourgeois influences we see in, in, in parties like this. And that has led to these sorts of contradictions, which have in some cases, like with this movement become very violent. Like this guy who was, who was assassinated, um, Ayanda Nagila, who has been a, a, he was only 29 uh, and had just been released on bail after he was in jail for six months after being charged with murder. When those the case against him was dropped after the witnesses admitted they'd been paid by the ANC to give false testimony, to get him thrown in jail for this. Jesus. Yeah. And ANC again, reminding people it's the African national Congress. 
Yeah, and mm-hmm. and her statement from from the Shack Dwellers movement, um, uh, Angela was he was at this this commune at Acahena where that they've been working on, where they were doing irrigation projects. They had like uh, a, an area with like some chickens where they're just you know trying to have, like get eggs and and raise chickens for meat there and stuff. And so he was over he was working on these projects that they're working on when four men entered the commune and shot him. They just <laughs> came into the commune, killed him, and 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 ran off and. The the Shackdollers movement is alleging that the the leader of this group was actually the son of the local party chief of the African National Congress. Like they put out a statement that said, "This is from the ABM, the their their national deputy president uh, George Bonono, who said." Quote, if the police had arrested Kaya Gubane, who is the the son of the local ANC party chief, when we filed a case against him yesterday for leading another attack on the occupation on Sunday evening. Comrade Ayanda would have been with us, but they refused to act against the ANC's goons. So Ayanda and Gila is no more. Jeez. Um, I mean, uh, between this and the um, Clover Dairy situation that we were talking mm. about before, it seems like the level of just open corruption and and worker or activist or or organizer uh, hostility from both the state and private corporations that is allowed is just like, yeah, this is really really shocking stuff. Yeah, I mean it's it's really harsh, and like this is also not an isolated incident either. That's the other thing that right. was. Uh, really, it, it was really tough to kind of learn about this because, like, what these people are doing, like, it's not like the the Shack Dwellers movement is like, okay, we're gonna get everybody together, and we're gonna get some chickens, and then we're gonna overthrow the government, right? <laughs> like, like, that's not their platform. Like, their platform is we want to organize self-sustainable communities of people who are already on this land in order to actually give them some semblance of a real life instead of being forced into this horrendous poverty that so many people are forced into. And they, they have referred to this as, as promoting an ethics of living communism. Um, because like, I've seen some folks like, I saw so like some of the like Wikipedia stuff was talking, was like, Oh, they're an, they're, they're an, uh, an, anarchist autonomist movement, which it's like, that's not, if, then I, but then I like looked up their website. They don't call themselves that they don't, they don't really seem to necessarily ascribe to like any of the like tendencies that we would necessarily, well, you know, shift people into. But no, like, I mean, it seems like mostly what they've done is like, whether intentionally in a very Marxist way or not, is they simply looked at the conditions on the ground in front of them and then made a concrete plan based on those conditions to help, poor and disadvantaged people which is like, yeah, like that's what you should do if you're a marxist but that it's you don't have to be a marxist to do that and do it well either yeah absolutely like i mean i haven't seen any of the you know i, I haven't seen them quoting mao or anything but sure. it's what they're doing is pretty clear mass line work to me mm-hmm. um and unfortunately, this is not the first time that a leading member of their movement has been assassinated. Like they have, they've faced violence for almost 20 years since they were founded in, in 2005 meetings that the like, community meetings that they've organized of, of people living in the slums have been attacked by ax wielding crowds. They faced constant police harassment and arbitrary arrest, uh, protests and eviction defenses that they were operating have been violently attacked. And at least half a dozen of their members have been killed in attacks over the last decade. Wow. And this assassination of, um, of Ayanda Ngila, which happened on March 8th, unfortunately, isn't even the most recent 
lethal attack on this group because when I was looking up stuff for this story on on the the movement's website, they pointed out there was another police raid on a different one of their communes at uh e at Enconini, I think is is how you say that. I'm I'm not sure uh, where. Basically, a bunch of cops just showed up to this commune. They started busting into people's houses, demanding that people produce unlicensed firearms that they claimed they had, that there was no evidence that they had. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just started arresting people based on no evidence. And they, as they were dragging off this one woman from her house, her husband saw what was happening and tried to intervene, uh, this, this man, Sia uh, Bona Monkele, and the cops just shot him. As, as he tried to stop them from dragging his wife away for nothing and he was killed. Um, yeah. And yeah, so these folks are facing an absolutely like, you know, crazy level of violent repression from the state for the incredibly violent and difficult crime of chickens. trying to set up. <laughs> yeah. For raising chickens and like setting up irrigation projects to grow food. And like for da- really it's for daring to say that the people who live in the outskirts of this city, who are, at, are in the like margins of the economy are people and that they matter and that their voices matter and that they should be able to live, you know, fucking real lives. And, and that they shouldn't have to just accept living in horrific, unending, never improving poverty. And, and for that, you know, they face constant attacks. Yeah. Well, and it's also kind of, um, it's a real life, uh, in real time example of something that like Western leftists, uh, often talk to each other about in like lofty tones. They're like, Oh, you know, we could just start a commune in the middle of Arkansas and we could raise our own cattle and horses. And it's like, okay, if you manage to get big enough and help enough people that you're not like totally insignificant to the interests of capital in the state, they're going to attack you just Mm -hmm. like this. And there's so many historical precedents for it. This is just the most recent one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's tough. And so, Mm. The, the movement put out a statement after, after uh, Ayanda was killed, where they said, Our country is already outraged with high levels of violence and crime, yet law enforcement agencies are used to crush and criminalize impoverished activists who are trying to build a just and peaceful society. Now Ayanda is dead. Another principled and committed activist has been murdered by the ANC. Ayanda is a martyr in the struggle for land, dignity, freedom, and socialism. His name will be celebrated around the world. We will ensure that his life is honored and that his spirit lives on in our movement. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, oh, fuck. I, I'm so tired of, of having to, to cover all of these stories of, of people who are doing good for other people being murdered by, by the capitalist state. I yeah. really wish that it wasn't so constant and that, you know, but I guess that's why we organize. That's why we fight and we uh, hold solidarity with each other to uh do our best to end this this tyranny that 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 these people are experiencing and and hopefully uh we'll see that in our in our lifetimes as we work through these these situations and m- lots of solidarity to to this project and their their communization and and such um yeah absolutely and so 
So as not to end uh, our, our stories this week on such a heavy note, um, although I do think that it is important, you know, that we learn about these, these, these struggles and these movements that are going on around the world that don't get a lot of press, uh, we, to, to try and ease the, the, uh, the move into the meme review, we do have a happier story to finish off the list this week, which is with the, a successful strike by the GMG union or what folks might know, I guess, as the workers at Gawker basically okay. where the, the, cause GMG, you know, is the Gawker media group. Okay. So on March 1st, on Tuesday, the members of the, this union who are affiliated with the writers guild of America East who are primarily writers for the various Gawker sites, uh, Gizmodo, Jalopnik, Kotaku, Jezebel, Lifehacker, and The Root, went on strike because their parent company, Geo Media, which is the like holding company that, that owns them as well as The Onion, uh, for their refusal to bargain in good faith during their ongoing contract negotiations. Their contracts had expired at the end of February, and the company had, at that point, refused to budge on some key issues that the union was raising. And, and, and this union, just for, for, to frame this, they represent about a hundred people who are mostly reporters, editors, artists, podcasters, videographers, social media folks who did the, the folks that make all the content across these websites. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and so there was a couple of key issues that they were fighting for that at the, before the strike, the company was on un, just unwilling to move on, which was, they wanted to maintain their health care that they had, which was pretty good, but they wanted to make sure that it was inclusive of trans affirmative health care because that was one of the like gaps in it was that, you know, with the, the, their coworkers who might need, you know, gender affirming care that wouldn't be covered under their current health care. So they wanted to make sure that, you know, all the members of the union could get the health care that they need. They also were fighting uh, uh, against the refusal of the company to raise wages to compensate for inflation, uh, as well as some moves by the company to basically try and muzzle members of the union on social media because they were trying to put a clause into the contract, which would require union workers to refrain from quote social media campaigns during (laughs) any future strikes. Basically like you're not allowed to tweet bad things about us when you're on strike. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> what? It, how incredibly petty and how incredibly revealing that an institution <laughs> like the Gawker Media Group, uh, that their popularity might be to some degree predicated on their reputation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But so like the, the other couple of things that they were fighting for is that they wanted to push back against the company's attempt to bring everybody back into the office right away, which again, for a Like, yeah, there may be some jobs where, yeah, you do need people to be physically in the office. But if you're a reporter for Gawker or even like a videographer, a lot of these jobs, there's no reason they can't be done remote during a pandemic. Yeah, I don't Um, need to be sitting in some dusty, poorly lit cubicle to write out my magnum opus, heartbreaking, the worst person you know just made a great (laughs) point. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And then the, the last one was that the company talked about wanting to uphold like diversity hiring initiatives, but had refused to actually put them in writing. And so the, the Mm. union wanted to make sure those were actually written down. Hey, yeah, Yeah. that's one of the lessons that we talk about on this podcast. Get it in writing. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I was actually going over 
uh the the actual list of of what they won because on the uh the gmgunion.com not the it's it's on gmgunion.com uh they were saying that they in in writing they have a goal of 40 percent of candidates at the um hiring manager interview stage from un- underrepresented backgrounds basically you know trying to trying to promote diversity sure. and uh as for the uh trans inclusive health healthcare they managed to get wpath compliance into the actual contract which is which is pretty good wpath uh is a is a i would say mostly good uh, uh trans uh system um what do you call it standard okay yeah right on and uh, so like GMG Union was, they were actually they were at the time back in 2015 when they were they they when they were founded they were actually the first digital media union in the U.S. and this strike weirdly enough has been was the first open ended strike for a fair contract by a digital media shop. I love um, an open ended strike because that is the thing that will scare an employer more than anything. When when because if you say oh yeah we're gonna strike for one day the company's like okay well we have to hold out for one day like this is insig- this is uh, inconvenient and we're gonna you know listen maybe listen to the workers more but the idea of an open ended strike I think is one thing that scares the shit out of them when they see these unions out there for three months nine months as for like the the coal miners years almost now. Yeah. And so like, of course the company, their CEO, Jim Spanfeller came out and tried to be like, I don't know what they're, what they're mad about. He said, to be clear, the terms we offered the GMG union were not only equivalent to, but in some instances better than the terms agreed to by the onion union just one year ago. Oh, wow. So, uh, you know, I guess, uh, we, you did it that you found the one that this is it. We've, we're just going to copy the onion contract for every business. That's exactly, no, that's, that is not how it works. Dummy. (laughs) Yeah. And so, but that, you know, the workers held a rally on March 4th where they had a a bunch of supporters came out to make sure their demands were heard. And, you know, the threat of an open-ended strike and seeing the amount of support that the, these folks got, seem to be pretty effective because right after the rally, the company brought uh, came back to the negotiating table. And that Sunday on the sixth, the union announced that they had reached a tentative agreement that they have since ratified. So they, they put out an announcement. The GMG union bargaining committee is very excited to announce. We reached a deal with geo media pending workers guild of America East council approval and a ratification vote by our members after four days of picketing and the first open-ended strike in digital media management has acknowledged the strength and demands of our members to this end geo media agreed to raise salary minimums severance and parental leave maintain our health care while requiring it to be trans inclusive and ensure annual increases for our unit members oh yeah. yeah that's uh it's really good the increases themselves i i think that you know because i i was looking over the thing again and it's a guaranteed three percent uh increase which as we know is you know under current inflation not not the best but i i don't know if it's limited to three percent usually when it's just a bullet point list there's some people who are getting more that's usually the, the minimum that they put in there yeah um but but yeah that's it's super good to see that and we need to be seeing more of this trans inclusive uh like stuff in contracts because there are trans people in every job that does mm-hmm. not matter in every industry then we're everywhere I, yeah i mean we're not going this away. should be the standard <laughs> Yeah, it absolutely should be the standard. I mean, it's so tough even when you get standards. Like, I mean, Lena was was kind of like 
talking about how the the one standard for trans inclusive healthcare is like all right, but it's, it's not pretty, really it's actually, great. I mean, I, I think I think that the way that I would if I actually want to do a little bit of a characterization of it is it actually goes thoroughly through the um, like material needs of people who need medical care for transition. And uh, it's just that where I find it slightly lacking is that in its commitment to providing health care uh, based on what trans people say their needs are because they are still kind mm. of determined partially by medical professionals um mm, okay. which i i think is the, my my critique on the wpath guidelines so the, which almost, is not bad it's just it's just not as good as it could be it was just kind of interesting um similar in some ways maybe to like the americans with disabilities act in how it kind of categorizes all D- disabled people monolithically as opposed to on a more individual basis a little bit yeah and i mean like i haven't gone over wpath guidelines in in a couple in a couple of years so it could could have been updated okay. to other things because but originally when i was looking at that stuff there was things like uh certain surgeries were were basically still considered elective in certain cases mm-hmm. and um uh and that be, just being a, a a false notion honestly right. Yeah. Well, I mean, good to see these workers standing up for their, you know, their trans comrades and, and, and all future, you know, workers at the geo shop and actually, you know, demonstrating the power of a open-ended strike. And it awesome to see a quick victory where they got the, the key things that they were fighting for. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, you know, with all of that, we're going to wrap the... Uh, nope, we cannot skip the meme review. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Where else are you going to get your, your hot tips and tricks and, and your, your funny frog memes? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's yeah, what's spe- in this meme review. <laughs> well, speaking of tips and tricks... <laughs> oh, yeah. Our, our first meme is, is, is a, a, mod- a slight modification of a uh, local news, or maybe this was a national news. They put out a little chart here because of the... Recent spike in gas prices where there's, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a screen showing, Hey, tips to save on gas. Bullet one, check your tires, check bullet two, reduce your speed. Bullet three, avoid lots of starts and stops. Bullet four, get rid of extra weight. And most importantly, bullet five, Seize the means of production. That's, That's right. right. <laughs> I love That's the right. avoid lots of starts and stops uh, as if that like people going to and from work really have that choice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, like <laughs> blow some red lights to save gas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, uh, that's one of the things that has been so weird about the, the gas price spike, which I mean, cause that's one of the things that's frustrating. Cause it's like, Gas price spikes do absolutely hurt workers, 100%. Mm-hmm. Like that for sure. So I understand why that's publicized. But it is always weird that that, you know, that gets publicized because it can be politically weaponized whereas, you know, say the fact that rents have spiked by 30, 50, 60% around the country, that's not getting quite the same amount of uh coverage for some reason. Hmm. Right. Well, yeah, and they they when, you know, when the news tells you like what you can do to save on gas, they never tell you like uh, create a coalition to block 
Exxon lobbyists or something, you know, like it's never something that might actually do something. It's always like very uh, personalized. Like, are you are you separating your cans and your recycling kind of what's the carbon footprint of of you going to the gas station? Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. 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 They never they never have the bullet of like get together with concerned members of your community and, uh, you know, shut down the city until they agree to devote the amount of money necessary to build a robust public transit. No system in your area. They're, right. they're just like consider your your carbon footprint on your way to the BP station, the company <laughs> yeah. that invented carbon footprint as a term. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, our next meme is this is a uh, the the fucking share zone style with the, <laughs> with the skull with the skull thing. And it's oh, this is the share zone. I, it's in yeah, the, yeah. it's in the barrels of the guns. I oh. wasn't looking in there, uh, but it says. I will not, quote unquote, spring back. Clocks stay where they are. Time cops go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a go, go to, two is with two O's there. Hell Obviously, yeah. got to have a little bit of the the um, misspellings in, in this if it's a good to share zone meme. Yeah, I mean, uh, daylight savings time is fucked up and insane. It doesn't help farmers. That's a fucking myth. Farmers actually yeah. fucking hate it because it gives them one less hour of daylight to do the shit that they need to do if they want to stay on like their normal schedule. And it pisses me off too because uh, when I'm in the middle of my weekend and the clock suddenly jumps forward an hour and I wasn't even having a good enough time to make that happen, <laughs> I get pretty upset. I just love the idea that like that. Oh, this is for farmers when it's like, you know what farmers deal with a lot of the time animals. And you know what animals definitely understand when the clocks change. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I saw some tweet where somebody was like, oh, it's now it's time for the the two weeks where I have to gaslight my cat into understanding a time change. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, like my cat wasn't complaining because this is where the, the food time goes goes like earlier and so it's a little bit easier but then but the the other one where it goes later nah that is that is is, that's where there is there's war in the household between the kitties and the people (laughs) all right uh this next one i actually wanted to hand this one directly to john because he's our expert on this particular topic Oh, (laughs) i hadn't seen this one yet so (laughs) it's just a photo of a snack truck and on the side, uh, just like the snack truck I drive, and on the side where there would normally be a logo, it just says <laughs> snacks. And then you have a, a very smart little three-color band going around the outside of the truck. And then on the back, on the doors, it just says, everybody loves them. Snacks. <laughs> Which, this is hitting home for me on so many levels. Uh, <laughs> of course, this is quote tweeted. And the quote tweet says, This is how all advertising will work under communism. And I got to say, I've said before, maybe on this show, but definitely on BP Bledis, uh, I'm one of those guys who thinks beer should just come in a brown bottle that says beer in black text (laughs) on the front. And if there's different varieties, it should just describe them in a, in Helvetica. If you have to standardize, you know, (laughs) I don't care, Ariel, whatever, they're all fine. Uh, but I love this because, like, I would fucking kill to drive a snack truck that just said snacks. Everybody loves them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know because I'm like, 
I'm looking at this truck and I'm like, man, that's the dream, right? Just not being bombarded with constant advertising and like trillions of dollars being lit on fire on, on pointless, like nonsense. Yeah, yeah, exploding bags of chips and and real wedges of cheese on your on your little cracker boxes and it's like why can't it just be like cheese crackers yeah well i mean like uh <laughs> there's like it, it's in advertising is such a fucking demented ass industry because like every city and region of the country has that one lawyer who takes out those ads in Pittsburgh? It was Shenderovich, oh Shenderovich, yeah. and Fishman. I forget what the guy is here in uh, in West Michigan, but we have one too. I've been watching his fucking commercials since I, I think Call Bob, something like that. Um, and like that shit should not <laughs> fucking exist. Okay, if you need a lawyer, there should be a national leg- registry of lawyers that tells you who they are and what they specialize in it, and maybe has reviews. And like that's it. No fucking advertising. I don't need you to to sing a jingle, so I'll call Dave (laughs) instead of Mark to unclog my fucking toilet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. that's right. Um, This next meme is a four-panel where uh, it's just two stick figures standing next to a brown box, and uh, there's a little bit of text here. It says, uh, we we need to think of some outside-of-the-box solutions, says the one of them. And the other person goes, well, wait, what's in the box? And then the other person goes back and says, we don't talk about what's in the box. And then you look <laughs> in the box, and it just says, pay them more. <laughs> I mean, that's, like, the thing, though. Like, that boils down to so, like, so many of the convoluted, annoying HR department style arguments, the dissembling that we get from companies whenever there's any sort of worker disgruntlement, even if there hasn't been a strike or a union drive, it's always just like, oh, no, we love our partners or whatever word they're using to not say worker or employee, mm-hmm. like to try and, and emphasize their whole, we're a family here thing. We just, you know, we, we, we really care about treating our workers right. And that's why, you know, we really love to show our appreciation and they just keep talking like that. They never actually talk about meeting mm-hmm. what the workers' demands are. Or or even the needs, if there aren't demands, like just the actually right. acknowledging the needs. But yeah. Yeah. Well, and as far as like, you know, all those cute little terms for your employees that aren't employee or worker, like partner and stuff. I saw the most odious one. I might have mentioned this already, but I was stocking some machines at a company and I look at the thing and it's referring to their employees as enthusiasts. And oh god, that is probably the worst one I've seen so far. <laughs> to to like, say that I'm enthusiastic about a job is probably disingenuous at the least. But I mean, like <laughs> I, the thing that really gets me going, and I I could I could I could love a job. I really could. I think it's possible. There's a there's a there's a good one percent chance of it. But it would require <laughs> <laughs> there's it would require. Oh, like a fuck ton more than what any job has ever offered me. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm not there because I'm enthusiastic about the job. I'm there because I need money. If I can muster up some enthusiasm, that's a nice little bonus. But this is a dish machine or a work truck, not a fucking model train set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. Absolutely. And so... For our last meme this week, this is this is just I took this uh, screen grab off of Twitter because it popped up in my feed and I thought it was very relevant and very funny to a lot of the 
incredibly annoying discourse going on right now uh, where uh, anytime anybody questions whether, you know, perhaps NATO is not the peace-loving defensive alliance of of, of, of just people standing around in a circle and singing Kumbaya that is being portrayed <laughs> as, uh, you get accused of being like, Oh, you just like Putin or, or they bring out their favorite fucking word that gets misused way too goddamn much. And so this is a, a, a three tweet thread from the account, our hidden history where they just start. I'm doing what about ism and I'm loving it. <laughs> replying to me with that's what about ism only makes me stronger that's what about ism that's right buddy. <laughs> this is a great great bit very very high tier the only way i could think of to make it better this is like my dream bit after seeing this is like a what about a what about ism guy but he always says the worst thing for the scenario and people are like well you know sure putin's bad but i'm pretty darn critical of how nato has created this whole situation over the last decade and they look you right in the face and they're like but what about yugoslavia (laughs) (laughs) just like helping your own point yeah exactly (laughs) yeah well on that note we're gonna wrap for the episode we want to thank uh all of you for listening and if you could uh share the episode with your friends and family it helps get the show out there also if you'd like to help us out some more you can uh drop us five dollars on patreon.com slash work stoppage where you can then get access to the overtime episodes and the shop floor discussions that i briefly mentioned uh earlier uh if you can't afford that jump in the discord let us know we'd be happy to give them to you again write a review somewhere ominous and uh, let them know about <laughs> us uh follow john on twitter at facebook villain follow the pod at work stoppage pod then also listen to beep beep lettuce also listen to red game table which is as i hear coming to a uh, uh the season conclusion right yeah, we just recorded the season finale of season three of, of, of Red Game Table last night. So that'll be coming out here in, you know, sometime, sometime. in the next few weeks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, well, we'll see. I mean, it was a long session. So it's it, it, and Ethan does a lot of great work putting in music and doing other sorts of stuff for the editing. So I don't want to. So don't rush, Ethan. Yeah, <laughs> it'll be good. It'll All be good, right. though. I promise. Yeah. All right. And uh, as always, folks, labor peace is not in our interest. And solidarity forever. Solidarity out there. Solidarity, everybody. Mm-hmm.